following message was recorded at Faith Fellowship, St. Pete, in St. Petersburg, Florida. More information about Faith Fellowship can be found at faithfellowshipstpete.org. In the sixth month, obviously of now Elizabeth's pregnancy, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city in Galilee named Nazareth to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David. And the virgin's name was Mary. So this is the first time we're introduced to the Holy Family or to Joseph and Mary. And he came to her and said, Greetings, O favored one. The Lord is with you. But she was greatly troubled at the saying and tried to discern what sort of greeting this might be. And the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord Lord God will give him the throne of his father David. And he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. And of his kingdom there will be no end. And Mary said to the angel, How will this be, since I am a virgin? And the angel answered her, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore the child to be born will be called Holy, the Son of God. And behold, your your relative Elizabeth in her old age has also conceived a son. And this is the sixth month of her who has who was called barren for nothing will be impossible with God and Mary said behold i am the servant of the lord let it be let it be to me according to your word and the angel departed from her so i want to open with this question this morning <laughs> and it's i mean it's true for me i'm 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 guessing it's probably true for you but has god ever changed your plans I mean, has he ever interrupted your, your, your perceived plans? You know, I love Proverbs helps us understand that we should submit our lives, our hearts, our plans and desires to him, right? Like we should delight ourselves in the Lord and let him give us the desires of our hearts so that we desire what he desires and we walk in his will and not our own. You know, I, one of my, I think my, my favorite theologian, for sure, without exception, my favorite theologian said these words, not my will, but your will be done. That was Jesus of Nazareth, by the way. So, um, but like that's, that's, the, that's the heart we should have, right? This submission to the Father's will with this, with this conviction that his will is perfect and so much better than ours. That, that, but then the hesitation for us is we've seen others through the legacy of the scriptures, through the, the witnesses of the Faith Hall of Fame that have submitted to the Father's will. And is it an easy path? Is it? When we look at Zechariah, when we look at Jeremiah, when we look at Jesus, who was the perfect example of following the, the Father's plan to perfection, is it easy? By no means. Is it filled with struggle and trial and adversity? For, for Gideon, what was it filled with? 
with war. Like, I mean, we, we live in, on foreign ground. We live in a, in a battleground. We're, we're ambassadors on foreign soil. So Jesus said, you know, I mean, it tells us in, in the New Testament, you know, do not be surprised by the fiery trials. as if something strange was happening to you. Jesus said, I'm sending you out like wolves among, I mean, sheep among wolves and they hated me, they'll hate you. I mean, so there, there is always that connotation that, that when we, we're going to walk in the Father's will, Jesus didn't pull any punches that it's not going to be easy. In fact, he said this very clearly in the Sermon on the Mount. He said, look, the, the wide road that leads to destruction that many have found, this is the easy road. Right. But there's a narrow path. Jesus said, I am the way. Right. There's a narrow path. And, and he refers to this as being and few will find it or enter through it. And he says, this is the hard path. And so he's he's clear. And so and Mary understands this because she her culture is absolutely rich in the like for us. I mentioned this in class this morning that, you know, for us, like in, in American culture, it doesn't have a real strong biblical connotation, right? It's not rich in its, in its, 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 uh, in its DNA of the scriptures. And maybe even the church not, but not the case for Jewish culture. The Jewish culture was, was rich in the scriptures. Like they, they, they understood the implications of things. When angels show up, things change. Right? When angels get on the scene, babies that aren't supposed to be born get born, Abraham would tell you. Right? And Hannah would tell you and others. Like, I mean, angels show up and tell folks that are hiding and scared that they're mighty warriors, Gideon would tell you. I mean, the angel, when an angel shows up, and Mary was obviously, when we look at her magnificent, when we look at her chorus of praise on the other side of her encounter with Elizabeth, we know that this girl is no, is no foreigner to God's word and to, to Jewish uh, culture and history. Her dad must have done a glorious job, but ultimately her father prepared her for this moment. And so when an angel shows up... <laughs> Something big is going down. And when she hears that she's the one that is favored and that God is with her, we see the intrepidation. So not if, but when God changes your plans, what has been, and and I'm not asking for folks to stand up here and we're going to move to a time of confession, okay? That's what we're going to do. No, that's not what we're going to do. But I, I want you to just be honest and sincere. Let the Holy Spirit have reign and rule in your heart this morning. Like, Honestly, when God just changes your plans, when God interrupts your objectives, what has been your response? What is your, what is your heritage in that? What is your, how do we usually respond? Many respond with, help me, anger and grumbling, right? We see that to the Israelites in the desert, right? And is God pleased with that? Uh, no, because that's actually, that's actually, interpreted by God as disbelief of his faithfulness and his provision, right? But how, how do we respond when God brings things into our path that wasn't what we wanted or longed for? Okay, so let's, let's take in the text for just a moment. Um, so many of you are married among us, right? So I'm going to speak to the ladies for just a moment. I want you to imagine you've been You've been asked to marry the man of your dreams. And ladies, he's still sitting with you, right? Yeah. So, um, 
Um, I would hope my wife would say amen. Um, so, um, so I want you to imagine it's in that it's in that engagement period. It's in that that beautiful time where you know this 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 man has asked me to be his bride. And she's been pledged. And we find out that the guy that's asked Mary to marry him, man, this guy is righteous. We find out later about Joseph's character. And we see his character and his obedience to the Lord when he's been given direction through dreams. and other. I mean, this is this guy's, and he's in the line of David, right? So he's born of the tribe of Judah. And in Jewish culture, if you're born of that tribe and you're a guy, man, that's, that's, you, you're thought very well of. And he's not even in his own context. He's in Nazareth. But here's a guy that is a master carpenter. Maybe not at this point, but that's, that's his lot. And, uh, and, and he's thought very well of at this stage in the game, right? And Mary has been wooed by him. Mary has been captured by his love. He's gone to her father. He's asked for her hand. There's, there's been covenant that's been established. And now in Jewish culture, once that, that, that pledge takes place on behalf of the father and the, and the, and the soon-to-be husband, they actually refer to one another as husband and wife. And that, that helps to clear things up later in the text. That in, in fact, and many of you know this, in order to break engagement or pledge, that literally that it was legal. It had to go through divorce. Like that's how serious like they took what we would consider engagement, but pledge. And so Mary now is the wife of Joseph, yet to be wed, but pledged to him. And so she's awaiting. So do you think that there's any sort of joyful anticipation going on with her? Arguably, this young lady is about 15 years old. That's where most folks put her in, in that time and age. And, and she's going to be wed and do you think that she's not thinking about all of this that's to come? Joseph is in town, small town, small poor village in Galilee, Nazareth was. And what is Joseph doing? He's building the family home, right? So like, have you ever built a house? Anybody built a house? Like, it's exciting, right? It's exciting to see, like for me, I've had the privilege twice. And man, I was over there every day. I'm like, oh, look what they did today. I mean, I'm just saying it's an exciting time in her life. And she's got a lot of aspirations and excitement that's going on around the circumstances of her life. And God comes in with an angelic messenger, the very one that stands at the right side of the throne of God, Gabriel himself. Must be a big deal, right? Gabriel's here. And he says, oh, favor one, God is with you. Greetings. Right? Like, I mean... I mean, if you're a Jewish young lady that has any connotation to the things of, of God and the, the angelic history and when angels show up, of course you're going, oh boy, what's, because everything, everything in any other life that's had an angel show up in past history and Jewish culture, there's a massive shift that happens. The old is gone, behold, all things are new. That's what God does, right? And so that's kind of the backdrop here. Is, and then Mary's life is somewhat interrupted by God's grace and favor and providence and plans. Guys, have you ever had God's word interrupt your plans? Like, and the truth, the ideal is, is that God's word is our plans. Does that make sense? Did you hear that one? 
Like, that's what I want. Some of these things, this is what I want you to take away. That God's word is our plan, right? And, and what he does in his faithfulness is he clarifies those things along the way so that if we're, if we're and we can trust him to be faithful in that. That if we're, in his, if we're abiding in him and we're, we're finding ourselves in prayer and in his word, like he's going to direct our steps, right? If we seek him with all of our heart, he's faithful. If he says, call to me and I will answer you and tell you great and unsearchable things that you do not know, right? Do not worry about tomorrow for tomorrow has enough worries of its own. Live a life that says, Lord willing, James tells us that. And then the great theologian, not my will, right? So like Jesus said, like he didn't just say, your will be done, Lord. He didn't just say that. He said this, not my will. I mean, that's, that's as profound as your will be done. Like he's rejecting, he's saying, I don't want me. I don't want what I want. I don't want what this flesh this is beckoning me to, right, in, in the culture, because he didn't have a sinful nature. But, but I, I don't want what man wants here. Father, I want what you want, and I want it in your perfect timing. So I'm willing in hope to wait for you. And he knew it, right? He knew when he was Nazareth, he knew that they weren't going to throw him off the cliff. He knew at the temple court or or porch that they weren't going to stone him to death because he knew he had an appointed time with the Father's glorious plan to make him the Lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world. And so let's remember that these are people these are people that are some that say some pretty amazing things about, like they were righteous among their generation. You know, they were obedient to God's word and statutes, Zacharias and Elizabeth. But here, this is a this is a virgin that has never known a man, and is being told not in time. She understands this isn't going to happen with Joseph. She understands that that in her in her virgin state, she's actually going to give birth to Messiah. What a glorious thing is being spoken of here. So let's, let's look at verse 26. So it says, in the sixth month, and if we don't understand the context, which is critical, we don't understand that that's talking about Elizabeth's pregnancy. So now we have some information, right, about this forerunner, this, this guy that's coming to prepare the way, John the Baptist. We know something about his, his relationship or his, the chronology between him and Jesus. They're six months apart. I don't know about you, but for, for a lot of years, I thought of John the Baptist as being this like, you know, old crackety guy, you know, leather bell, you know, camel skin, you know, leaping locust. You know, I thought he was like this old guy. But man, he was like 30. If Jesus was about 30 when he started his ministry, he was like 30 years old, right? And, and, this, and he's a relative. He's a distant relative, but he never knew Jesus. They never had intimate contact uh, we find that uh, later on in the text. But in the sixth month, the angel Gabriel. Man, guys, if an angel showed up in your day, how would that go? Right? Would, would he need to say fear not? Because for me, absolutely. Right? Like in the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent, right? They're messengers, so they go from God to a city in, of Galilee named Nazareth. Now, Here's the thing. <clears throat> There's a danger for us in growing up in a passage like this that's hyper familiar because of the Christmas season. That we just glance over things because we've heard it so much. But listen, to Jewish ears, like he's going where? He's going where? To Nazareth? 
Like, remember what Nathaniel said when Philip came to him and said, man, we've met Messiah and he's from Nazareth. He said, she said what? Can any good thing come from... Na- and keep in mind, Nathaniel and Philip were from Bethsaida. That's another town in Galilee. So that's like another Galilean saying something like, Nazareth's pitiful, right? I mean, the reputation of Nazareth was poor, right? And yet, as we get to in a minute, it was filled with prophecy about the Messiah being a Nazarene, right? Um, so, or from Nazareth. So for Jewish ears, they're going, why would the angel have anything to do with that unkosher place and people, right? That's, that, would be, that would be their connotation. I mean, like, well, why would because when an angel shows up god's got god's got business to be done why why would why would it be in nazareth we have to hear that so this is the second birth announcement in six months like kind of cool gabriel gets to go do some pretty cool things right um he kind of announces these glorious births um this time was a teenage virgin in nazareth mary what a difference if you think about the contrast in six months here a priest versus an obscure poor girl. And we know she's poor. Like you say, well, Carl, how do you know she's poor? Well, you remember when they dedicate Jesus at the temple and they come? They don't bring the sacrifice that is, that is required. They bring the, the, the sacrifice that is, that is like a concession for those that are poor. They bring two birds because they can't afford it. So we know like some of these some of these details are so important that we don't just glance over so that we kind of get a, a humble, like a clear, even as she talks about herself in the Magnificent, she refers to herself as a, as a humble estate. Like, wow, me? So we have to understand that her posture here in, in this angelic encounter is that she's going, me? Like, you know, like, like heaven made a mistake, <laughs> right? Um, so... Um, so we got a priest and then an obscure poor girl and then from the temple in Jerusalem. And you can imagine how, how, how the, the Jewish people felt about the temple to a common town in a discounted Galilee. And then the ultimate thing that stands out is from unbelief to childlike faith. That's what we see in Mary is we see this childlike faith that, that has confidence in God's word is intrepidated by the, the, the implications and the meaning of it, but is just yielded as a servant to the word of God. The question we have to ask ourselves this morning, it's clear in the text, is, guys, are you a servant of God's word? Are you a, are you a servant of his word, a, a bond servant? I mean, Mary uses the word handmaiden, right? The lowest the, the, the most humble of servant submitted to. And, and here's the thing. It's not submission to do things that we are willing to do and we like to do. That's not what true submission is. True submission is when it asks us to do something we don't want to do. And we do it. Does that make sense? Like it's, it's when we trust God enough to do something that's going to be sacrificial and painful. That's going to, yet again, void us of us so that he can plant more of himself in us. And this is what he's doing, right? Every time, like we see it in Luke chapter 5, 
Um, it's an awesome thing. Like Peter's asked to go out to deep water and let down his net for a catch. He fished all night, caught nothing. He's not, he's basically saying to Jesus, you know, because you said so, Lord, we will go. In other words, I don't want to do this, right? And, and it says, the next verse says, and when he had done so. And listen, the blessing wasn't two boats full of fish that are so thick with fish that they're about to sink. The blessing was this. Jesus revealed his deity to Peter in this moment to the point where he said, go away from me, Lord, I'm a sinful man. And Jesus said, now you're ready to be fishers of men. Right? So like, what did Jesus do? He revealed himself. How did he reveal himself? Through obedience. Right? He gave him a word. He obeyed the word. We see it with Philip, right? Philip was asked to go to this road, this obscure road that leads down to Gaza from Jerusalem. And he's in Samaria having this glorious ministry. And he jumps on it, races down to this road, runs up to a chariot. And he is the instrument that God uses to be the first catalyst to bring the gospel to the ends of the earth. But what's the catalyst? He's, he's a servant of the word of God. Guys, look, most of us, when we are given opportunity, whether it's to eat dinner at someone's house, you know, most of us, you know, our, our qualifiers are, do I want to? Do I feel like it? Is it best for me? Man, this, this, isn't, this isn't what God's desire for us is. It's, it's, Father, you know, whether I eat or drink, whatever I do, I do it for the glory of God. Right? Word or deed. Like, it's like, is, is this what God wants? Is this God's plan and purpose for my life? Is, is, what is God's word leading me to? Every time I get in it, I have a posture of servant, radical posture of obedience. And we see that with Mary. It's an awesome thing. So let's, let's talk briefly about this Nazareth thing. Because I think sometimes we, we don't realize, like, what an obscure place, what a discounted place. Like, you know, you're from, like, any time that Jesus was presenting his deity or, or, or presenting himself as Messiah, they're like, um, do we need to remind you where you came from? Do we need to remind you who your parents are and how you were born illegitimate? I mean, this is what people say to him. This is the kind of reputation Mary gets from being obedient. Do we think for just a moment, guys, I want to ask you, do we, are we caught up in this prosperity gospel to think that following Jesus is going to make me popular? That following Jesus is going to make me successful from a worldly perspective? Listen, delight yourself in the law of the Lord. And meditate on it day and night, and you'll be like a tree. That whole thing ends in Psalm 1 by saying, and you'll be prosperous, right, you'll, in, in all that you do. But it's from God's perspective. Like, what he wants to prosper is inside of us, his kingdom. And then he wants to manifest his prosperity through our lives, which is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, the things that money can't buy, hope, peace. These things that God wants to... And then we are now no longer wrecked by circumstance because that's not where our hope is. That's not where our sense of value is, is captured in. Does that make sense? He's rescuing us from this paradigm that's so broken and he's basically saying, look, I want, I want to prosper you from the inside out and I want to make you an, an ambassador of my kingdom that I will plant in your life. But isn't it awesome that he uses the common I mean, so often we think of Elijah and we think of these folks, but if you look at their origin, they came out of all of them, out of humble circumstances. I mean, God looks to and fro, right? For a heart, right? A heart. 
And here, listen to Matthew 2, 23. And he went and lived, this is speaking of Jesus, after return from Egypt. He went and lived in a city called Nazareth, that what was spoken by the prophets might be fulfilled. What was Jesus' objective in everything that he did? To fulfill the word of God. I did not come to abolish the law, but to right like he and every time you see so that this might be fulfilled so that this he was walking out god's word in his life and do you think for a moment that that was meant to be an example for you and me that the word of god might be filled by the prophets might be fulfilled it says this he shall be called this is the prophetic statement he shall be called a nazarene the people of Judah despised the Israelites in Galilee and claimed that they were not clean or kosher because of their relationship with Gentiles, yet they had prophecies like this one. Listen to what this says, Matthew 4. And this is, uh, this is referring to Jesus' ministry. It says, the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali, which, what are those two people? They're, they're two of the tribes of, of Israel, right? And so, but they became two regions in Israel as they were given adoption of the promised land. It says the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali, the way of the sea beyond the Jordan, Galilee of the Gentiles. The people dwelling in spiritual darkness have seen a great light. Who are we talking about here? Jesus, right? And for those dwelling in the region and shadow of death on them, a light has dawned. And basically the next verse says, and Jesus revealed himself and began his ministry, right? So, um, so we see that God, God had purpose. He, 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 do, he doesn't get captured by our prejudice and favoritism, right? John 1, 40, just to finish this piece on Nazareth, John 1, 45 and 46, it says, Philip found Nathanael and said to him, we have found him on whom the prophets and the law have all, and also the prophets wrote, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. Now, is that true? See, like, Nathaniel didn't even know yet that he wasn't the son of Joseph. Biologically, he was not the son of Joseph. We'll talk about that in a minute. But Nathaniel said to him, can any good thing or good come out of Nazareth? Philip said to him, come and see. But God chose a girl from Nazareth in Galilee to be the mother of Emmanuel. How glorious is that? In chapter 13, Uh, Verse 55, and if you're taking notes, I'd encourage you to read this in context from 53 to 58. But in the middle of this, Jesus has basically gone back to Nazareth and he is ministering to his hometown, which in in verse 38 says, or 58, says that, you know, they had no faith so I could do nothing here. That's a sad statement. Um, But in the middle of that, the reason that they they basically discount Jesus as having any potential uh, to be the Messiah by this statement, it says, is not this the carpenter's son? Is not, and many speculate that that's referring in past tense to Joseph, but is this not the carpenter's son? Is not this mother called, is not his mother called Mary? And are not his brothers James and Joseph and Simon and Judas, later to be referred to as Jude? Guys, um, it goes on to say, and all of his sisters, many sisters. So two points I want to make here. Um, Mary was never meant to be idolized. Mary was never meant to be the one to focus our worship on, 
Right? She was an instrument of God's and a unique instrument of God's glorious work. And she will be honored for all generations the Magnificent speaks to. But if we look at like passages like Isaiah 9, 6, wonderful counselor, mighty God, everlasting father, prince of peace. The focus of this son that was given is Jesus, is Jesus. And, and here, like she is discounted here in her own culture and lifetime. But she is given a mantle or a, an expression in our culture oftentimes that's inappropriate as well. She was a glorious instrument of God's bidding and God's will. Great example uh, in her lifetime and, and, and that example to be, to be considered. But, but ultimately, she's not to be worshipped. And, so, and the other point that I want to make in re- relationship to this particular text is she, you know, as, as some religions will declare that she was a virgin through the, till the end. But the scriptures c- clearly say that she had four sons other than Jesus and many daughters. And, and, uh, and, and so, you know, we have to be careful because what happens a lot, oftentimes is when God does something glorious through an instrument, and it doesn't even have to be a person, a lot of times we worship the instrument instead of the, the glorious God that has done and used that instrument for his glory. Moses was never meant to be worshipped. Okay, so I, moving on in the text, I'm going to read 26 to, to give 27 context. It says, uh, In the sixth month, the angel Gabriel came and sent, uh, was sent from God to the city of Galilee from, uh, named Lame Nazareth to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David, and the virgin's name was Mary. There's a word that's used twice in that one verse. What is it? Virgin. Like, do you think that, that the, the Holy Spirit wants us to pay attention to the fact that she's a virgin? Right? Is this not associated with a, with a prophecy in Isaiah 7.14 that is critical that God, that God himself will give us a sign? I love that. God himself will give us a sign. We'll talk about that in just a second. Um, but... All these, these, these points are, again, pointing back to make sure people that are... That are and, and here's the challenge for us. Do we know the scriptures so that we are sensitive to the providence of God? Do you know what I'm saying? Like, this is huge. Like, are we, are we so knowledgeable of the scriptures that as God moves in his providence that we are, we are kind of going, look what God do, could be doing here because we understand his, his promises. We understand his prophetic teaching in the scriptures, many that have yet to be realized. I mean, I believe, you remember when Jesus is riding in the cult? We just did this recently uh, in, the, in the, the triumphal entry into Jerusalem. And, uh, and Jesus says to the, to the, to the boys that are going to go get the colt and the donkey, uh, he says, go into town. And he basically tells them exactly how the scenario is going to go down. He says, go into town and there'll be a, a donkey and it's colt. And, uh, and just when you see it, grab it, take it. And if anybody asks, tell them that the Lord has need of it, right? And so th- they go in. Oh, look. <laughs> Like a coin in a fish's mouth. There's a donkey with a colt. Wow, look at that. And so they go and they, and they, 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 they grab them and they start to leave. And the owner says that he comes and say, whoa, 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 where are you going with my donkey? I mean, it's like someone coming to you and saying, um, not even asking, just kind of jumping in your car and taking off, you know, like, and they say, whoa, whoa, whoa. And, and this is what they, this is all they say. The Lord has need of it. 
But see, guys, there's a connotation here that without Jewish ears and Jewish hearts, we don't understand that if if there was if I owned a colt, if I had a if there was a donkey that I owned that had a colt right around Passover, and and someone said the Lord had need of it, I'd get pretty excited. Does that make sense? But because I'm aware of that prophecy, now I'm kind of like rather than being you can't have my donkey and colt, I'm like, oh my goodness. I even thought maybe this is why he was born for this. And he was. You know what I'm saying? It's so important that we know the word of God because it's kind of like, you know, as the Holy Spirit illuminates and gives us understanding, we get, we get kind of a foretaste of God's providence. And if we don't have, have that, we're veiled and we're, we're kind of like wandering through the darkness, unaware, unaware of his light. Thy word is a lamp unto our feet and a light unto our path. And so we see that here and... And it's, it's an awesome thing, but she's a virgin. And to point to that, uh, Isaiah 7.14, we'll probably hear this throughout the Christmas season, but listen to what it says. And I love this. Therefore, the Lord himself, don't miss this. Like God didn't get anyone's help for this one, right? Nobody's help. In fact, it's the Lord himself because it's the Holy Spirit that's doing the overshadowing here, right, with Mary. And it says, and for, therefore, the Lord himself will give you a sign. Behold, the virgin, not a virgin. This is a unique, the virgin, the one and only shall conceive and bear a son and shall call his name Emmanuel, which we know means God with us. And so what I love that is God himself is going to give you a sign. And the nation of Israel, Josephus, a Jewish historian, historian says this, that, that the Jews had diminished the, 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 the power and the potential of the miraculous work of a virgin birth at this point to make it more realistic or potentially happening um, to say, well, this was probably, you know, the teachers were saying, well, this is probably a young married woman that has given birth here. No. And that's why the angel says nothing is impossible with God. And he's not the only one that declares that. Job declares that. Jeremiah declares that. Jesus says that. Um, and so we, we, we need to always, man, let's not put God in a box. Let's not, let's not limit what God can do. Is, is there anything that's impossible with God? So verse 28 goes on to say, And he came to her and said, Greetings, O favored one. This is, this is talking about like the, the statement that's made about those in Hebrews 11.6. And it says, without faith, it's impossible to please God because we must believe he exists and he rewards those who love or serve him, right? Uh, this is talking favored one. We hear this with like Abel because of his offering, because of his heart really towards God. He says, the Lord is with you. The Lord is with you. Um, we, we've talked a lot about this. verse has come up a lot in this, this week um, or in fact, the last couple of weeks. In Second Chronicles chapter um, 6, I believe, verse, no, 16, verse 9. In 2 Chronicles 16, 9, it, it talks about this, that the Lord looks to and fro around the earth, over, in fact, it says all the earth, for a heart that is completely his. Do you know that God, God is looking amongst the, the, his creation for a heart that is completely his. And, and here, that's the connotation. Greetings, O favored one, the Lord is with you. But she was greatly troubled at the saying and tried to discern what sort of greeting this might be. So I've already mentioned this, that 
you know, Mary would have had the connotation of there's a there's an angel that showed up. And, uh, you know, we have tons of historical evidence about what happens when an angel shows up. And we also know what kind of transitions seem to transpire with the person that the angel uses or speaks to the message. I'll give you one example. So remember Moses, he's out, you know, tending sheep. He's 80 years old. He's 40 years away from what he believed to be his mission of God that he failed in. And, and now he's kind of stuttering and giving up on what he believes God had wired and created him to do. And he sees this curious thing. It's a, it's a bush that is burning, but it's not consumed. Kind of a picture of who we are with the Holy Spirit burning in us. So like he's the consuming fire, right? So, here's, so he starts to come up to the bush and he's asked to remove his sandals because he's about to enter holy ground. So there's an angelic presence as Acts chapter 7, Stephen tells us. And in this conversation, he is asked to be the deliverer of his people and to go back to Egypt and, uh, and, and because he's heard the groans and the cries and now God's postured and ready. Timing has come. The waiting is over. The hope is to be realized. He's going to deliver his people. And so Moses' response was, yes, I'm so excited to hear this. Finally, God, let's go, right? Isn't that what he said? No, no, no. He said, look, I'm old, I'm done, I'm stuttering. You got the wrong guy, right? He takes personal inventory and determines that he's not the instrument. And God says this, who made your mouth? Who made your mouth? And so in this situation here, we have to understand that Moses' life is transformed after that completely. And we know that over the next 40 years, because he lives to 120 and he dies in the Sinai, that over the, that time period, he is, I mean, we, we see it, like it, he's dealing with grumbling people. It's a, it's a pretty tough assignment, right? But, but is it not filled with glorious moments? Is he not, does he not like radiate from being in God's presence? And so it's going to be a litany of both. And does not Mary have the same resume? Doesn't Mary come away from this being the one that treasures things in her heart that she's heard from shepherds because of angels and from wise men? Doesn't Mary get to be like on a front row seat of God's grace and glory and salvation that she gets to raise the son of God who she's fully aware of at that point? Can you imagine? Can you imagine? She's is he raising her or she raising him? Like, like who's delivering who? You know, like, like this is, this is, this is an amazing work that God's, but she embraces all of the unknowns in those things. There is no way that Mary could, would ever expect something like this to happen to her. And we see later her sense of honor and humility. Verse 30 goes on to say, and the angel said to her, do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And behold, now she's given her assignment. You will conceive in your womb. And she knows this is not with Joseph. She knows this is immediate. And bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. Does anybody know what that, that name means? Yeah, it, it, it literally translates, the Lord is salvation. Isn't that awesome? That's what his name means. The Lord is salvation. Um, in Matthew, J- Joseph was told, this is, this is later in the, in, the, uh, in the narrative, but Joseph is told, told in a dream so that he might respond appropriately, she will bear a son and you shall call his name Jesus for he will save his people from their sins. The Lord is salvation, right? The text continues, he will be great 
and will be called the son of the most high. Now, let me just pause for just a moment. If you were told this very thing and you don't have the benefit of our retrospective perspective, like, I mean, he will be great and he will be called the son of the most high. Uh, what, what are you going to think at that moment? Oh, this is going to be awesome, right? I mean, like, don't you think for just a moment, like, like my son is going to be, like God has already stated, he's going to be great. He's going to be the son of God. I mean, I, I kind of think that this might work out pretty well. I mean, it might, it might have some, you know, expectations or connotations that, that, that won't be realized in the way that she might think, right? I mean, like she's told in the temple at dedication that, that, that both your soul and his soul will be pierced. Like that this is going to be, this is going to be difficult too. But she's hearing all this for the first time. And it says, and the Lord God will give you or give to him the throne of his father, David. Like he's the long awaited king. How could she not have expectations related to that? Jerusalem did, Israel did, right? They were looking for a military Messiah to deliver them from Roman oppression. And he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. She couldn't, she couldn't even gather what that would possibly mean. And of his kingdom, there will be no end. The Lord's plans endure. His purposes are much bigger than our imagination, Scripture tells us. Bigger than we can even dream or imagine is God's aspirations for and through our lives. For I know the plans that I have for you. God is intimate with his plan for our life. And the truth is we are not. And we've got to walk by faith and not by sight. So verse 32 tells us all of that about who Jesus will be. He's worthy to be worshipped. He's the long-awaited Messiah. He's the coming king, but he's going to be the suffering servant before he is exalted to that throne. Gabriel's announcements or announcement affirmed the deity, if you look at it in the text, the deity and the humanity of Jesus. As Mary's son, he would be born human. And he would be human. As the son of the Most High, he would be the son of God. And we see that in Isaiah 9, 6 and 7. As the, as the prophecy speaks, this is what it says. For to us a child is born, his humanity. To us a son is given, his deity. And the government shall be on his shoulders and his name shall be uh, called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace, of his increase and his government and and of peace, there will be no end. And on the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and to uphold it with justice and with righteousness from this time forth and forevermore. And then this is one of my favorite parts of this. It says this, the zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. Like God's going, I'm going to get that done. That's what I'm going to do for you. That's what I'm going to, that's the kingdom that I'm bringing. Jesus came to earth to be a savior of the world, but he also came to fulfill the promises God made to the nation of Israel. We have to see that. Jesus is enthroned in heaven, but is, is not on David's throne yet. So here's an important thing that we must realize, that the, the, the promise that's given here by the angel is still yet to be realized. Jesus is coming back to establish a righteous kingdom and throne on this earth. And make us a part of it. Like we're, we're, we're stones that are, be, that are being built together. We're the bride of Christ. Like he's coming back for his church. This is our hope. And, and the kingdom is yet to come. And our hope that we talked about this morning is not a hope like, uh, I sure hope we get to do this or I hope it doesn't rain. This is based and, and established in God's promises. How good is God? 
Like Jesus' kingdom is yet to be fulfilled. These, these promises will be fulfilled when Jesus returns and establishes his kingdom, his righteous kingdom on earth. Verse 34 goes on to say, And Mary said to the angel, How will this be since I am a virgin? Three times we've heard that, right? And here what she's basically asking is for a biology lesson. It's not, it's not doubt. There's no doubt in this. She's just saying, how is this going to get accomplished? I'm a virgin, and that's not how I remember these things working together. I had my birds and bees talk, you know? And so Mary believed the promise, but she did not understand the performance, right? And is God, is God tolerant with that? Is he seem to be generous and, and, and benevolent in that? Absolutely. How could a virgin give birth to a child, she basically asked. And this is the angelic answer. And the angel answered her, the Holy Spirit will come upon you. This starts to sound a lot like the tabernacle, right? The Holy Spirit will come upon you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. That's the same word that's used about the, the cloud, the, the, the pillar of fire that's, that's, that, that determines the, or, or, or defines the, the presence of the Holy Spirit in the tabernacle, right? And so it's this overshadowing of us. Therefore, a child will be born, uh, to be born will be called holy. It's like the holy of holies, right? He will be holy. And it's, it's, it's interesting how it's a child birthed in a womb that has not had the seed of Adam, right? He, he, Jesus would not pass on the lineage of the fall, right? The son of God is what he says to her. So this was God's objective. And I love this, to come upon us, to overshadow us, to be born in us. Right? That's what he was doing there. Gabriel explained that this would be a miraculous work of the Holy Spirit. God would be the father, not Joseph. It is quite possible that many thought that Mary was unfaithful to Joseph and was guilty of sin, adultery, fornication, and would have held that against her for her entire life. Look at John eight forty one for example. You are doing the works your father did. This is what the Pharisees said to Jesus. They said to him, you, we, uh, sorry, we were not born, in other words, you were, of sexual immorality. So this was a reputation that Mary had and Jesus carried, but that did not defer or, 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 or dilute their pursuit of God's will and plan. Gabriel also mentioned that the baby would be holy and not sinful and not share the sinful nature of man. So I thought this was really cool, and I'll share this quickly. Um, he committed no sin. We, we see that in 1 Peter 2.22. He committed no sin, neither was deceit found in his mouth. He had no sin. It says in 1 John 3.5, you know that he appeared to take away sins, and in him there is no sin. So the conclusion is, and this is an awesome find in my study this week. I love this. The body, the body was prepared for him by the Holy Spirit who overshadowed Mary. Mary's womb became the holy of holies for the Son of God. Because listen to what Hebrews 10.5 says. Consequently, when Christ came into the world, he said, sacrifices and offerings you have not desired. Talking about lambs and goats, right? But a body you have prepared for me, the ultimate Lamb of God to be sacrificed. Prepared by the Holy Spirit in the womb of Mary. Now Gabriel leaves Mary with some encouragement here at the end. He says, behold, your, your, your relative Elizabeth in her old age has also conceived a son. And this is the sixth month with her who was called barren. Now, why would he do that? As we wrap up here, 
you know, it is the, it is the encouragement of God. It is the, the, the way, you know, I love that Elizabeth later on says, blessed is she who believed what the Lord said, right? So we know from the Holy Spirit that she believed based on that confession. But listen to what, the same thing was done for Abraham. This sounds familiar. Listen to what it says. Genesis eighteen fourteen. Is anything too hard for the Lord? Right, this is what is said to Abraham. In other words, the obvious answer is no. At the appointed time, I will return to you about this time next year and Sarah shall have a son. That might have been echoing. The spirit might have reminded her of that. Like is nothing impossible. There's nothing that is impossible with God. Verse 37 says, for nothing will be impossible with God. Many have testified to this. Job 4.42.2. I know that you can do all things and that your purpose Um, and that no purpose of yours will be thwarted. Listen to the confession of Jeremiah 32, 17. Oh, oh, Lord God, it is you who have made the heavens and the earth by your great power and by your outstretched arm. Nothing is too hard for you. And then Jesus himself in Matthew 19, 26. But Jesus looked at them and said, with man, speaking of salvation here, this is impossible. Righteousness, but with God, all things are possible. All things. I like how the ASV um, puts the, the verse 37. For no word from God shall be void of power. Isn't that good? Like we know that God's word comes forth in power when believed and realized through our lives. That's a good word this morning. So I finish with these thoughts for you. God accomplishes his purpose through the power of his word. We have to hear that this morning. His word realized through obedience is a powerful instrument in the context of humanity. And look, listen to what Mary says here. She says, behold, I am the Lord's servant or I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. I'm submitting to your word. I want what you want. And the angel departed from her. So some key thoughts. Mary's faith-filled response was to surrender herself to the Lord as a willing servant. That was her response. She experienced, and I I picked this up from Warren Weensby. So if there's something you want to write down today or go back and get the notes online later this afternoon, uh, listen to what this says. She experienced the grace of God and believed the word of God. Therefore, she could be used by the spirit of God to accomplish the will of God. Isn't that awesome? I'll say it again. She experienced the grace of God to be chosen for highly favored. God is with you and believed the word of God. Therefore, she could be used by the spirit of God to accomplish the will of God. And so I have this thought for you as we wrap up. If you heard a story of a 15 year old girl who got pregnant before she was married and her husband wasn't the father, but God was rejected by her friends and relatives Her future husband almost left her and her son was rejected and murdered. Would you say that she was favored by God? See, our paradigm's broken, isn't it? Isn't our paradigm broken? And do you now understand why Mary had some intrepidation about this greeting? She had an accurate perspective to some degree. I know that she was naive to the full potential of it but she knew that this meant that she was going to have to be radically dependent on the Lord and faithful to the word forever. I'm sure this made her popular with her friends and family and fiance, and I'm sure this favor made her wealthy too. I'm being sarcastic. 
The the word favor led her to a very challenging life filled with trial and tragedy and triumph, but also incredible moments that were worth her treasuring in her heart. Here's an interesting thought. God knew Mary's heart and that he could count on her to trust him, and she did. And, And this is a point of application. Her submission led to our salvation. Is that true? Her submission, and I'm not saying it was because of her submission, but her submission led to our salvation. So I have a question for us this morning. Might our submission lead to the salvation of others? Might our our submission to the word of God, being the instrument of God, the witness of God, pursuing the favor of God and and the word of God, might that not lead to the salvation of others? I believe that the answer is a firm yes. Is yes. Our obedience often doesn't lead to instant success. We must know that. We must trust God to work out his plan in his time and in his way. It is usually totally different than ours. And as the great theologian Jesus said, not my will, not my will, but your will be done. I want you to think through as we sing this last song, I want you to think through your posture about the control of your life. I want you to think for a moment, who's Lord? Who gets to call the shots? Who determines the destination and the direction of your life? Who, whose word are you following? Yours? Maybe you're struggling with being a people pleaser and you, you just want people to like you, so you're following the, the direction of others. Let me, let me beg you. Let me, let, me, let me challenge you to trust God's word. It's not going to be easy. Let me promise you that. But it's going to be glorious. And you're going to see things like Mary did. She had a front row seat to the glory of God, to the person of Jesus Christ, and to the ministry of the Holy Spirit. And so would you too seek to surrender the control of your life, especially in this Christmas season when we're challenged to give Christ a gift? Because whose birthday is it anyway, right? Why are we giving gifts to one another when Jesus' birthday, right? We, he, he's the one that should be receiving the gift. And you know the gift that he wants? He wants your heart. And so would you give him that this Christmas? Would you give him that today? And would you surrender control of your life to him? And uh, as we sing this song, would you allow those words to penetrate your heart? And would you surrender to Jesus? Because I promise you, though it will be hard, it will be glorious. Thank you for listening to this message from Faith Fellowship St. Pete in St. Petersburg, Florida. More information about Faith Fellowship can be found at faithfellowshipstpete.org.